It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth. In America, once gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. I do have another question about the, the president's COVID mm-hmm. plan. He promised on September 9th that he was going to send 50% more supply of monoclonal antibodies to states. Yet, the Biden administration is cutting supplies in red states by 50%. So, for example, uh, you know, in Florida, they were expecting to get 70,000 doses this week, which they say they need. They're only getting 30,000 doses. And this is not just for unvaccinated people. In South Florida, Half the people who are seeking this treatment are fully vaccinated. So why is the Biden administration cutting these supplies? That's not accurate. So let me give you the accurate information. Uh, First of all, we are increasing our distribution this month by 50%. In early August, we were distributing an average of 100,000 doses per week. Now we're shipping an average of 150,000 doses per week. Over the last month, though, uh, and one thing that I think people need to understand for clarity, facts, I know, I know you're like facts, um, is that monoclonal antibodies are life-saving therapies that are used after infection to prevent more severe outcomes. So clearly the way to protect people and save more lives is to get them vaccinated so that they don't get uh, the COVID to begin with. But over the last month, given the rise in cases due to the Delta variant and the lower number of vaccination rates in some of these states, like Florida, like Texas, just seven states are making up 70% of the orders. Our supply is not unlimited, and we believe it should be equitable across uh, states across the country. Do you- There's been no reports of a, a, a lack of supply, so why cut them to those states only if there's no reports I think about- our role as the, as the government overseeing the entire country is to be equitable in how we distribute. We're not going to give a greater percentage to Florida over Oklahoma, nor do I think are you suggesting that. I think we have to move on. Jen Psaki speaking for the Biden White House. And of course, monoclonal antibodies are working. I'm hearing this from people that I know in my own life, lots of them, going to these centers and uh, telling miracle stories about how sick they were. If it's caught within the first 10 days of you thinking that you have COVID, it's very, very effective. And yet the Biden administration has decided that Ron DeSantis and Texas and Mississippi and other states that have been availing themselves of this treatment, by the way, the treatment's been available. It's just that the Biden administration hasn't let you know about it. So suddenly now they want to restrict the flow of it. The Biden administration doesn't want people to get monoclonal antibodies, so they want to make it hard for them. Does that make sense to you? And she says it in the guise of, we, want, we think every state should get the same amount. Florida shouldn't have everything in Texas. No, it's because Florida and Texas have actually, and Mississippi now also and other states, have now sort of been following Ron DeSantis, the governor of uh, Florida's uh, leading, and making this known to their people. And it's been very effective. So now it has to be stopped, you see. So I want to show you how, how, how decadent, how corrupt 
uh, more obviously corrupt this whole situation has become. Um, just became aware a few days ago. You know, they're telling us it's, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It's the unvaccinated that are getting so sick and dying and filling up our hospitals and our beds and your neighbors, you know, those icky, no good, unvaccinated. It's their fault. Uh, if you, if they, you wouldn't, those of you that are vaccinated and getting sick wouldn't get sick if it weren't for your unvaccinated friends who just refuse and are selfish and don't care if people die. That's really the narrative. But now we know that the Centers for Disease Control has stopped monitoring monitoring breakthrough infections. That means people who've been vaccinated twice uh, and get uh, COVID-19. They've stopped recording those people. They did that as of May 1st. I will, in fact, I'll read you their exact wording. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention currently monitors hospitalizations and deaths from any cause among fully vaccinated individuals with COVID-19, but not breakthrough infections which it stopped monitoring as of May 1st. Now, what do you think that means? That means that uh, if you stop recording vaccinated people who are hospitalized, it will look like only the unvaccinated people are being hospitalized by the variants. And that's the kind of records they're keeping. That's what a lie this is. This is what a lie this is. So Ron DeSantis was not going to, you know, take that lightly, and he spoke out uh, uh, last week. I think it was Friday, and I wanted you to hear at least in part what he had to say, clip three. The bottom line is this, COVID is a treatable illness, and we have to uh, never go back to the days where particularly high-risk people would get infected, and they would be told, just go home and hope you don't get deathly ill. No, if you're, particularly if you're high-risk, if you're infected with COVID, uh, you have an opportunity to avail yourself of a very effective treatment, the monoclonal antibodies, and we are very happy to see the declines uh, that we've seen in part because uh, this is now something that more and more people know about. We are very, very concerned uh, with the Biden administration and the HHS's recent abrupt, sudden announcement that they are going to dramatically cut the number of monoclonal antibodies uh, that are going to be sent to the state of Florida. Just last week on September 9th, President Joe Biden said that his administration would be increasing shipments of monoclonal antibodies in September by 50%. And yet on September 13th, HHS announced that it was seizing control of the monoclonal antibody supply and that it would control distribution. And then on September 14th, the announcement was more than 50% of the monoclonal antibodies uh, that had been used in Florida uh, were going to be reduced. So this is a dramatic reduction. And I'd say it's doubly problematic because what, what Shane Strom and folks in Tampa General and these other hospital systems that have been doing this, they're not getting it from the state. Uh, they, they get it. It's drawn down from it had been a Marisource Virgin. So they get that. Uh, and then when they need more, they request more, they do it. What the HHS and the Biden administration is now doing is they're saying that all of the reduced amount will go to the state and we're responsible not only for sourcing our sites, which we're happy to do, but any infusion center, any provider, any hospital will have to come through the state. And to just spring this on us starting next week, we're gonna have to do that. There's gonna be a huge disruption and patients are gonna suffer as a result of this. Yes, and he goes on to say, that was Governor Ron DeSantis, he goes on to point out that the Biden administration has not mandated, you know, vaccines for uh, federal, empl- or for 
people in the White House for the executive branch. It hasn't been mandated for members of Congress, uh, the post office. Yeah, so if it's a serious issue, speaking of the vaccinations, why isn't it across the board? Because this is political. They are no doubt punishing these states that have found this treatment, are using, availing themselves of this treatment. And so uh, I just wanted you to get a touch of that. Now, the answer to that is for, uh, Ron DeSantis has responded by saying they're going to go to GlaxoSmithKline directly and get their own monoclonal antibodies and bypass this corrupt administration. And so God bless Ron DeSantis on that. Uh, Tate Reeves, who's the governor of Mississippi, was on with, uh, I think, Jake Tapper on Sunday. And he, he the similar kind of problem, of course, Jake is all in for the administration. Let's listen to the exchange, clip eight. If you get the virus, and this is very important, if you get the virus, please talk to your doctor about the monoclonal so you're not antibody doing treatment. You're not that is the best anything. way in which to do that. And unfortunately, the Biden administration continues to try to reduce the allocation to red states like Mississippi and Florida of that monoclonal antibody okay, treatment. Okay, okay. It, Governor, it's, it's outrageous. Governor, if Mississippi were a country, you would have the second worst per capita death toll in the world. And I'm saying, are you going to do anything to try to change that? Jake, as, as I mentioned earlier, deaths, unfortunately, are a lagging indicator. Our total number of cases went from 100 to 3,600, and over the last two weeks has declined. They have been cut in half from 3,600 to 1,800. When you wanted me to come so you on think three or four so weeks you think ago, this you want to successful? talk about our number of cases. And then you want to talk about our hospitalizations. Now you want to talk about a lagging indicator, uh, which uh, is sad. And, and it's I'm trying horrible. to talk about and dead I, I, Mississippians is what I'm trying to talk all about. all 9,000 Mississippians that have passed away. But let's put this in perspective, Jake. I mean, the reality is Mississippi accounts for 1% of the U.S. population. We account for 1.1% of the total number of cases in America. And we account for 1.29% of the total number of fatalities in America. And right. so the reality is the Delta variant is very transmissible and it is moving around the country. If you want to talk about cases right now, talk about Kentucky or West Virginia or what's happening right. in North well, we're Carolina. That's all right. They get into kind of a into spat there. But that, I thought Tate Reeves did a, a good job defending uh, Mississippi to Jake Tapper. And Jake Tapper was just foolish. So he's all in for them removing or at least limiting the supply of monoclonal antibodies to Mississippi. That's what the conversation was supposed to be. And then he says to the governor, you know, so you're not going to do anything? You're not going to do anything to, to save people's lives? I'm worried about dead Mississippians, as though the governor of Mississippi is not worried about his own people. And meanwhile, the governor of Mississippi is fighting to maintain his supply of monoclonal antibodies, with this, which is saving lives. This is bizarre. doesn't make any sense at all. And I want to also point out that um, may, you need to know this. I'm trying to this morning pick out the things that I think are most important. It's a real challenge because there is so much news. But if case you missed it, uh, India has reduced their number of COVID patients down to almost zero. And how did they do that? Because they gave the population ivermectin. This is from a doctor. He said, news of India's defeat of the Delta variant should be common knowledge. Yet for some reason, we are not allowed to talk about it. Wikipedia cannot mention the peer-reviewed meta-analysis by Tessie Laurie or Dr. Peter Corey published in the American Journal of Therapeutics. Wikipedia is not allowed to publish the recent meta-analysis on ivermectin, authored by Dr. Andrew Hill. Furthermore, it's not allowed to say anything concerning ivermectin, showing the 61 studies comprising 
23,000 patients, which reveal up to a 96% reduction in death with ivermectin. There is a blackout on any conversation about how ivermectin beat COVID in India. When I discussed the dire straits that India found itself in earlier this year with 414,000 cases per day and over cases per day and over 4,000 deaths per day and how that evaporated within five weeks of the addition of ivermectin. When I say that, I'm often asked, but why is there no mention of that in the news? Ask yourself why India's success against the Delta variant with ivermectin is such a closely guarded secret by the National Institutes for Health and the CDC. Second, ask yourself why no major media outlets reported this fact, but instead try to confuse you with false information by saying the deaths in India are 10 times greater than the official reports. And then he goes on to say a lot of things, but he says truth matters. This is called India's ivermectin blackout. Uh, I was going to give you some of those numbers, but it's just too complicated. Let me just say that they have practically eradicated it uh, by the use of ivermectin, which reminds me of what I've told you about Africa you know, that uh, hydroxychloroquine, which I think they are pretty much this, they're related drugs. I don't exactly know how that works because I'm not prepared to discuss it and I'm not a medical person, but they're, they're similar in how they work. Hydroxychloroquine is called the Saturday pill by the Africans because missionaries, uh, probably American missionaries and maybe British for uh, decades, have been giving them that pill to fight malaria and it has incidentally been very effective in fighting COVID, but you're not going to hear that either, are you? Because... Uh, our administration insists, and our medical establishment insists on lying to us. I have a lot more to say. The FDA panel, I want to talk about that later. Maybe in the last segment I'll do that. Uh, voted against uh, the booster shot. At least um, they voted, I think, 16 to 3 to recommend against providing a booster shot. Uh, but um, there's a lot to say about that, and I will get back to that because that's an important story. But right now... Another important story, we're going to talk about what happened at the rally in Washington, D.C. on Saturday, the uh, Justice for J6. I'm going to talk to an activist who was there at the rally, plus I have a lot of updated information for you, so I hope you'll stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. May I tell you about 17-year-old Esther in Africa? Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. Esther is only 17. She's part of the famous Maasai tribe in Kenya. It's a country that I visited not too long ago. Girls like Esther, they're subjected to Maasai traditions that are not taught in the Bible, including female circumcision and polygamy where a man has many wives and some younger than Esther are forced into arranged marriages against their will. Now, having endured this mistreatment, Esther lived with bitter unforgiveness until a Bible League volunteer introduced her to the hope of the gospel and now she's led dozens of teen girls and young adult women to Jesus and she's praying for Bibles so they can grow in their walk with Him. And that's exactly why Bible League is inviting you to send God's Word to bible believers around the globe at only $5 a Bible. $100 sends 20 Bibles and Friends of Bible League will match every single gift. Call 800-YES-WORD. 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. 800-YES-WORD or click sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. 
Today we pray for Lenita Jacob Simmons, Director of the Job Corps. She oversees the program that delivers vocational training to young men and women in the United States. Proverbs 12:11 reminds us of the importance of working hard. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to guide Lenita Jacob Simmons as she helps provide job training to young Americans. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stearns. Stand by for news and commentary next. No matter your career goals, you want to find a university that provides excellent academics and state-of-the-art facilities at a price you can afford. At Liberty University, they believe a quality Christian education should be available to everyone. That's why they've frozen their tuition rates through the 2021-2022 academic year and offer multiple scholarships, like the Middle America Scholarship, to bring that price point even lower. Learn more by texting STARNS to the number 49596. A high school teacher in Los Angeles decorated his classroom with anti-cop and anti-American messages. It happened at Alexander Hamilton High School. The teacher posted a transgender flag and a gay pride flag, along with a Black Lives Matter banner in the classroom. One of the posters referred to America as the KKK. It also included another word that I cannot repeat on the radio. Yet another reason why parents should seriously consider homeschooling, this sort of anti-American propaganda is becoming commonplace in public schools. The Los Angeles Unified School District says the posters did violate their policies. They told the teacher to take them down. I appreciate the school district ordered the removal of the anti-American propaganda, but they should not stop there. The teacher also needs to get the heave-ho. My new book, by the way, a great addition to your devotion collection, our Daily Biscuit Devotions with a Droll, available at your favorite bookstore or ToddSterns.com. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Here for Jonathan Mullis, but I'm going to read another letter that was written by somebody's mother who actually shares a wall with John and um, is subject to the same torture, including, uh, <laughs> well, John's in solitary confinement and he has been for no reason. That's a whole story. Uh, but last night they, for dinner, they were served four pieces of white bread, a cookie, and a packet of tartar sauce. According to them, that's a nutritious meal, and they violated their own rulebook on multiple occasions. So I think America needs to become very well-versed in the treatment of these men. It's human rights that we're talking about, and it's completely nonpartisan. Dear Matt Brainerd, I just got off the phone after speaking to my son. He's in January 6th detainee in the Gulag of D.C. Over the months, I have heard of the horrors these U.S. citizens and veterans are being subjected to. Today I have found out some more indignities forced upon them. He told me he's not allowed to shave or cut his hair. It's been seven months now with no shave or haircut. As a veteran, he is supposed to be meeting with a veteran representative weekly. He has yet to meet with one. How can our country treat its citizens and veterans in such a manner? As a mother, my heart is broken. I am quickly losing all confidence in our great nation. 
Initially, he was granted bail, redacted, only to have it overruled by a judge in D.C. This judge made a statement that she wants all federal judges to be hard on the insurrectionists. How is this allowed? He's not being charged with any violent crime. He's lost his job, lost friends, family, is in, and is in the process of losing his home. He's denied visits from family. His jailers treat these men like scum. There's absolutely no presumption of innocence. I just wanted to let your organization know of the terrible conditions these brave men are being subjected to. Even death row inmates get haircuts and are allowed to shave. This reminds me of how the Jewish people were treated by the Nazis. I've never thought I would live to see such treatment in the United States. I have watched some of your rallies and wish I could afford to attend. I know that you sometimes read letters by family members. If you should happen to read this letter, please don't reveal his name. I don't want any retaliation to be given to him. Thank you for all of your efforts, and please keep up the good fight. Sincerely, a concerned mother. All right, so that's one of the letters that was written, uh, read at the rally on Saturday for Justice for J6 rally, the one that Matt Brainerd has been talking to us on the air uh, several times, you know, uh, periodically throughout the last few weeks. And by the way, let me just say, uh, it's Look Ahead America. That's Brainerd's organization. And they have like something like 16 more rallies in various states. So uh, you want to go to Look Ahead America and check those out in case you'd like to be a part of that. Um, I could say a lot about what happened. I, I do know there was a lot of police presence. Some pr people said there was more, more police than attendees. Uh, but I thought it probably would be good to hear from an, uh, someone who was there. And so I've asked my friend Kathy Trowernick to join us this morning. Kathy is a, uh, I think it's kind of a silly thing to describe her, but she is a super activist. And by that, I mean she doesn't get paid for what she does. Uh, she just loves the country. Uh, she is a Virginia activist uh, involved in so many different things, actually doing something, not just talking. Uh, and so I've asked her to join me because she went to the to the rally on Saturday and uh, nothing like a, an eyewitness account to hear the best. So, Kathy, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me, Sandy. I appreciate it very much. All right. So yeah, I describe. Went a, I went with a friend. We were contemplating whether we should go because, as you know, before the event, a few days before, there was a lot of chatter about not going and that there would be violence. And I think it was trying to deter, that kind of talk was trying to deter people from going. And my friend and I thought back to the Gdansk shipyards in Poland, for example, when the Solidarity Movement got underway, and also to those brave students in Tiananmen Square. And we thought, if people like that could go confront totalitarian forces in their country, surely we could, while we still had the First Amendment right to peaceably assemble. So we drove downtown, parked near one of the museums near the Capitol, and I was expecting that horrific black fencing to be up again, the way people were talking about Nancy Pelosi resurrecting the wall around the Capitol. I didn't see that menacing black fencing. There was some fencing there, but it was not obtrusive. We simply walked from one of the museums a couple of blocks and right on to the rally grounds. We had determined beforehand that we would stay on the perimeter and not wade into the crowd. We did have signage with us, and we thought we would just stand around the perimeter and not say anything to people who would come up and try to interview us. There were a lot of people who tried to interview us. Our impression was that there was a lot of foreign press there, as well as American press, and some people who just seemed to be independent media people. But our antennae were up. This is what was different from Tea Party rallies of the last 10 years, which I've been to. You had to be guarded because we didn't know 
who was a friendly person and who might be uh, federal agents in disguise. So that was another reason we decided not to engage people in conversation. But um, we guess there were approximately 300 people at the rally. Now, I know people have talked about there being more police and media there than the so-called protesters. I don't think that was the case. Um, We were standing back of the crowd, but there was a sizable crowd near the stage. It was sometimes hard for us to hear from where we were standing. But I, I think there were probably about 300 people. The media people going around to talk with um, various people were on the perimeter with us. We didn't see a lot of activity in the crowd itself. And I really have to hand it to Matt Brainerd. Um, I'm glad you mentioned his organization, Look Ahead America. He repeatedly asked people to be respectful, to be peaceful. This was not a political rally. It was a rally about the injustices being done against political prisoners. And I heard that the heartbreaking letter that one of the speakers read from a mother, one of the prisoners, it truly is heartbreaking and just incomprehensible that this is happening in our country. Uh, There was a father of one of the prisoners who also spoke and the girlfriend of one of the prisoners. And you stand there listening to them and thinking, how can this be the United States of America? It it was, it's just appalling. Um, One side of my sign actually reminded people of our Sixth Amendment right to to a speedy trial by an impartial jury. Well, the people who are being held in D.C. correctional facility are not getting a speedy trial. And if they're tried in Washington, D.C., they're certainly not going to get an impartial jury. It's very troublesome. I don't know who the defense attorneys are who are being assigned to many of these prisoners, Um, Some who can't afford their own attorneys have defense attorneys assigned to them, and I don't know if they're getting very good advice, but it is heartbreaking, and we were glad to be there. I will say we felt safe, and I remarked to my friend as we were standing there, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I feel very safe here. Uh, It was a peaceful event. There were some odd-looking people walking around at times with black backpacks, which I saw a lot of actually back at January 6th. There was a group of us at the White House rally. We didn't go to the Hill. But there were, um, it, it was odd to see a lot of people walking around with black backpacks. And now that I look back on the incidences of January 6th, I'm very suspicious about seeing people who look uniformly um, different. You know, they're usually dressed in black and they have their black backpacks and they're wandering around. We saw a few of those on um, on Saturday. But there was a guy, sort of burly looking guy, walking around with a Gadsden flag that still had creases in it like it was just taken out of a box. <laughs> and as he walked by, I couldn't help but say to him, looks like you just took that flag out of a box. And he hesitated for a few seconds and then replied, yeah, got it out of a military surplus store. Well, I just burst out laughing, and he walked away. I don't think he was there to support the political prisoners. Yeah, But there is a little humor in watching these people you think are trying to be you know, trying to blend in with the crowd, but they really don't blend in. Um, there was Kathy, also a group. 
Don't, Sorry, don't, go ahead. don't lose your thought. Don't lose your thought. Okay. But I want to just interject that there was one person arrested. I watched uh, the yes. video. I don't right. know if you saw that, but it was actually yes. an yes. undercover. We don't know what agency. Right. Uh, but we think he was undercover. He, we, you, there were several views of it. We heard the guy saying, you know, are you undercover? Uh, and uh, they take his gun and then they they kind of turn circle around him and safely escort right. him away. So that was right. the one place. So you do wonder, don't you? Wouldn't you like to know yeah, the story well, of who that was? We saw there was sort of a melee going around. Um, it may be, um, oh, I don't know, I'm not good with measurements of yardage, but we saw them clearly from where we were standing. The riot police, there were maybe 15 or so of them. They actually looked ridiculous next to the peaceful crowd that was yeah. there. But all of a sudden, there was this commotion, and it turned out to be this man that you mentioned who said he was undercover. Now, Matt had said that they had undercover security at the event to help keep things peaceful. Yeah, so, so he might have been one he, of Matt's then. He could have been. But mm-hmm. then, you know, my antennae are up. And so I'm thinking, well, when these, I tell you, these riot police look like ninjas. They, the padding on their sleeves, I've never seen riot gear like this. Well, I've never really been in a riot, but um, they surrounded him in a tight formation and marched him away. And I thought, well, maybe this was another setup, like a show of force and sort of eye candy for the media. So who knows if that was legitimate um, or not? This is the... This the, is where we are. This, yeah, yeah, it is. Kathy, let, let me interject. I want to tell I want to say tell a couple more stories here and we can mm-hmm. talk about them. Uh but I want to give some stats here because uh as you and I both know, this is about real people who are really suffering yeah. just a few blocks from there. And we the estimate from the Daily Wire from Luke Rosiak, who's a great writer by the way. Mm-hmm. I wondered what happened to him and now I find him at Daily Wire. Uh, anyway, some 60 people are still behind bars 8 months mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. that disturbance. Jose Padilla has been detained since February. He's 40 years old. He's been in Tennessee for most of his life. He's a caregiver. He manages his household affairs. He came back from the Iraq War with PTSD, but he's been going to treatment regularly. And uh, the the judge wrote in his case, the government contended that the two features of Padilla's background, which favor pretrial detention, in other words, another the reason they won't let him out, is number one, his role as a stay-at-home dad which, according to the government, gives him idle time to engage in conspiracy theories and run down rabbit holes through social media. That's a quote from what the court said. The court cannot accept the proposition that a stay-at-home parent poses a—this is the judge speaking— a court, the, the court cannot accept the proposition that a stay-at-home parent pose a, poses a greater threat to public safety. Uh, anyway, um, I want to go on because I want to give a couple more examples here. Um, so they also argued that his PTSD uh, should be he should be kept in in confinement because of his PTSD. Meanwhile, they made no effort whatsoever of getting him continuing the treatment he was receiving at the VA hospital. So the judge has rejected that, but he's still there. Ryan Samson, Samsel, he uh, pushed a bike rack that was serving as a barricade, purportedly causing it to strike a police officer. He was arrested, held for seven months, uh, without being indicted or having a preliminary hearing. He's been in solitary confinement, and he's been beaten. Uh, And uh, his lawyer wrote, he has been detained since uh, and spent substantial time enduring the torture of solitary confinement. On or about March 21st, 2021, Mr. Samsel was viciously assaulted while in the custody of the District of Columbia Department of Corrections. And while detained in administrative segregation, the latest euphemism for solitary confinement, Mm -hmm. he was taken to Howard University Hospital 
uh, where he was admitted and treated for injuries, including bilateral nasal bone fracture. As a result of the brutal assault, Mr. Samso lost vision in his right eye. The medical records make clear that the medical orders and referrals have been ignored. And there are some, there's, there's another suicide incident. I could go on and on. Those are the kinds of people's lives that that Justice for J6 rally uh, was held. And that's the reason that you and your friend went as well, Kathy. Um, yeah. I, uh, what kind of people were in the crowd? Were there's just a disparate group in terms of age and that kind of thing? Any, any of the real well, people I, that really came? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Everywhere. Um, as I said, I, we didn't wade into the crowd that was closest to the stage, but it was all peaceful gathering. And uh, yes, I would say all ages. Um, black, white, there's some Asian. Um, As I said, it was sort of like the old Tea Party rallies, a mix of people. Mm -hmm. But what was different is you weren't sure who was really there to support the rally and who was there to maybe start something, which is why we didn't want to talk with anyone. But, you know, I, I will make an observation. I think Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden with all their talk about putting up the fence again and having the National Guard on standby, got more media coverage for this rally than it would have had otherwise. Matt's had a couple of rallies already in D.C., the D.C. Correctional Facility and the Department of Justice, and they've not been that well attended. Um, I went to the D.C. Correctional Rally, maybe 50 people, but I think because Pelosi and Biden were talking about this, they created such a buzz that many more people now know about the prisoners, thanks to Pelosi and Biden. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Well, Kathy, thanks. I appreciate you telling. I'm going to say goodbye to you. Then I'm going to continue. I'm going to play a couple of uh, audio clips uh, that you yeah. no doubt heard that day. Um, yeah. But thank you so much for joining and, me and this morning. And Sandy, can I just say, when the constitutional rights of fellow Americans are in jeopardy, all of our rights are in jeopardy. So thank you for doing this segment this morning. Oh, well, you're, you're welcome. I, my listeners will tell you I've been covering this a lot, so I feel you know very passionately about this, Kathy. Yeah. This is just wrong. It's wrong. A yeah. lot of my own listeners were there, I, and even if they weren't, I would be defending. I just can't stand it, and so we have to do something. And so you're working in your own way, and I'm, I'm doing the same thing to try to get justice yeah. for these people right. so that they know they're not forgotten. Kathy Traurnicht, again, um, it, uh, many of you ask me what you can do, what you can do. You can become Kathy Ka- Traurnicht. Uh, she uh, keeps herself informed, and she goes where there's a need, and she does it all the time and faithfully. She is just a great example of uh, citizen activism. So, Kathy, thanks for joining me this morning, and we'll see you soon. Thank okay, you. Thanks. thanks. All right, Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Are you in need of hope, encouragement, and the love of God? I'm Pastor Salem. I'd like to invite you to join us for the Christian Worship Hour. For decades, I've been teaching the Word of God so that people everywhere can experience the love and power of a personal relationship with our Lord. Tune into this station this weekend and prepare to be blessed and encouraged 
by another life-changing message. Learn more about our program at ChristianWorshipHour.com. Friendships is looking for full-time volunteer men and women who are serious about serving God, investing time in rewarding work, and helping people in need around the world. There is no charge to serve. Room and board are provided. A willing heart and a desire to work as part of a team are the primary skills required. Check out the opportunities at friendships.org or email portmercy at friendships.org. That's portmercy at friendships.org. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. As David prepared to face Goliath, Saul tried to outfit David with Saul's personal armor. But David didn't have Saul's armor when he faced the lion or the bear. And David recognized that he didn't need the armor to slay Goliath. Today, many Christians yield to the temptation to be hipper, cooler, even a little fuzzy on the clear teachings of Scripture in order to face the Goliaths of our day. But Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. We don't need a cool light show to be effective ambassadors for Christ. All we need is to offer what we have freely received. We know the transforming power of Christ because he has transformed us. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Aria is suffering for the gospel. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. Aria lives in the Middle East in a radical Muslim family. She accepted the invitation of a Christian friend to attend a weekly Bible study and eventually received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. She took her Bible study booklet home, hiding it in her room before her mother found it and gave it to her father. He beat young Aria nearly to death and called the officials to report her as an infidel. They took her to her remote cell where they assaulted her and the Christian friend and eventually let them go. Now, these two women, they didn't grow bitter. They grew bold, and together they've seen hundreds come to Christ in the Middle East where it's nearly impossible to get a Bible. And that's why Bible League is inviting you to send God's Word to Bibleist believers around the globe at only $5 a Bible. $100 sends 20, every gift matched. Call 800 Yes Word. 800 Yes Word, or click sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. And God bless you for caring. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Nancy Pelosi's hand-picked partisan investigators are reconvening this week to promote her party line about an insurrection in Washington on January 6th, spawned by President Donald Trump and aimed at overthrowing our government. To his credit, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson has challenged that narrative, drawing on first-hand observations and analysis by my Center for Security Policy colleague, Mike Waller. On Saturday, at an event I attended in Dallas, former New Mexico prosecutor David Clements flatly characterized the event as a false flag operation. Great report reporting by Darren Beatty's Revolver.net suggests FBI agents and informants may have been among a small cohort of provocateurs determined to disrupt that day's certification of the 2020 presidential vote and vilify Trump supporters as terrorists, possibly with inside help. There's plenty to investigate about January 6th. Unfortunately, Team Pelosi seems unlikely to do it honestly. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Story that I have not told you because I wasn't prepared to, to discuss it, but I, I want to make sure that we get this in. There's more information on January 6th and on the people, what happened on that day. 
uh, that's really actually very big news. And you're not going to hear this. You're just not going to hear it. The um, and that is, uh, remember they keep kept telling us that about all these people that died, and some of them they said were the crowd, they were trampled in the crowd. One they said uh, died of some drug overdose. I think that's uh, the, the way they described it. Uh, but um, let me just back up for a second and tell you part of this story you've heard before. Because we covered uh, Philip Anderson, I think six months ago, I want to say. It's maybe longer. He is a black activist in California, around the Los Angeles area, as I recall. And he was organizing a rally just with patriotic music, uh, flags, uh, you know, singing patriotic songs. I can't even remember what else. But um, in the midst of all that, Antifa showed up, and it's actually on tape. You can see them uh, come up behind him and beat him on the head. And then they beat him again, and he turns, then he's, you see him in a video, and he said, and his teeth are missing, his two front teeth are gone, and his mouth is bloody, and he said, they just knocked my teeth out. They just knocked my teeth out. And I think, you know, he was a bit in shock. I can relate to that since I had both of my two front teeth knocked out from a biking accident. Uh, he was a bit stunned, but he was a conservative Donald Trump, um, love make America great again supporter who was attacked by Antifa, and it really never made the news much. The next, last time we talked about him, he did an interview that I didn't play because it was a little hard. It was very hard, actually, to edit because it was kind of a, a very casual interview, kind of a rambling thing with another reporter, uh, in which he says that uh, he was at the Capitol next to uh, this woman named Roseanne Boyland. Okay, let me tell you about her. She is from Kennesaw, Georgia. She's, she, she was... 34 years old, uh, the way her family describes her, beloved daughter, middle sister, and proud aunt. Um, she was, you see a picture of her smiling. She's got a Don't Tread on Me flag and a Save America banner. And uh, she had on tube socks, American flag sunglasses, and smiling in this picture. And yet they say that she died of a drug overdose. Now, she has Adderall. She has a prescription for Adderall, which I don't really know what that does, but it is a it is a drug of some sort with the treatment for something. She was, I believe, as I understand it, an alcoholic. I don't know if she was, an, uh, or maybe she was a drug addict. I'm not sure which, but she had an addiction of some sort. And she's been faithfully in uh, her meetings, even the night before the January 6th rally, she was at a meeting in D.C. Uh, so they said that she wanted to help other people, wanted to be a counselor herself, as she shows no signs of being uh, drugged in any way, and yet that's what the the official record was. By the way, her body was cremated, uh, just like um, the, uh, the 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 soldier who the female soldier whose name's escaping me in the moment was shot by the. Remember, they cremated her like two days later, so without permission from the family. It's just it's amazing, and they decided, you know, they did, they announced pronounced that she was uh, she died of an overdose. So, but. Back to Philip Anderson, he says, no, no, not really. This is, again, what we talked about a few months ago when Philip first came out with this. Uh, this is Jim Hoft who's reporting this. He said, I was there next to her. She, we were knocked over, and uh, uh, Trump supporters that were there were trying to drag us. She was with me, not with her, him at the rally, but she was with him in that moment. Uh, and um, they, the police would not let the Trump supporters them to safety, and they were being trampled. Uh, he was injured, and uh, she was injured as well. But it gets worse than that. He said, actually, he held her hand. They were holding hands, and uh, finally, he was pulled, somehow pulled away and lost his grip. 
And then she's the one that they reported died of a drug overdose. And she said, no, she, he, he, she died because the, the Capitol Police or the police that were surrounding them did nothing to help her. Now we have new reports. This is also from, um, this is from a person that you, if you watched the rally on Saturday, you've heard her name. I'd never heard it before, but I want to give it to you. It's Cara Castronuova. Cara, C-A-R-A, Castro is the way it's spelled, Castro Nuovo. N-U-O-V-A. She's the co-founder of Citizens Against Political Persecution and uh, the People's January 6th Commission. She's a two-time boxing championship. She's a celebrity fitness trainer and a television personality. I don't know anything about her, but she uh, was the co-chair of this event. And you can get the information I'm going to share with you at her website, which is citizensapp.us, citizensapp.us. Or you can get more at the People's January 6th Commission.com. All right, so um, this is what they're reporting, is that now they have gotten a, a forensic videographer has taken the recording of what happened to Roseanne Boylan, and you can see uh, Philip Anderson, too, in some of this. Um, and it looks as though, uh, according to this forensic uh, video, videographer, that a, an officer from the D.C. Metropolitan Police, who they traced because that they could see her badge number, actually beat Roseanne Boylan, either while she was unconscious or maybe perhaps after she was dead. No one seems to know. The video shows um, the officer, and they give the name. I'm not going to do that yet because I uh, this right now, uh, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. Uh, but let me say that this this means this is not a Capitol Police officer. This is a D.C. officer who works for uh, the mayor in the District of Columbia. And uh, she evidently beat the woman unconscious, according to what the accounts are saying. And so they've identified her. They've got her picture. And um, then in addition to that, they've tracked that now that they know who she is, they tracked her getting all these awards like at the Super Bowl, she's pictured with those. Remember those two officers that testified uh, uh, against the the people that came on January sixth, Doctor or Officer Mike Fanone and um, Daniel Hodges. Uh, she's shown with them. They're getting awards at the Super Bowl in recognition of their heroism during the January sixth attra- attack. Uh, Mario Blauser also uh, tweeted, "Thank you at NFL for honoring our superheroes from the D.C. Police Department at the Super Bowl." D.C. Police Acting Chief Conte says Morris, oh, that, sorry, that's uh, the last name of the officer in question here, a fought like blank on January 6th. Video shows this may be an accurate statement, but not in the complimentary way that the uh, acting police chief meant. So that's, uh, I'm just telling you, it looks like we might have potentially another, uh, um, we have a couple of things here. We may potentially have another person who was there on January 6th who was actually uh, killed because of the actions of the police. We also have uh, 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 we have something else very important, and the narrative is that the people that went to the Capitol on January 6th beat policemen, turned on the police, and a lot of uh, the charges, the worst charges, are that they fought the police, and how dare they do that. And now the speculation is that the police, and I've heard this before, we told you about the police shooting fire uh, firebombs into the crowd un- unprovoked. We saw the video. I saw it myself. Uh, burning people, hurting people when they were just standing there singing, waving their banners. It's uh, And that's not the only occasion. I understand, it, at least it's alleged, that the police 
Actually, not all of them. Not all of them. No, 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 no. Lots of them helped open the doors and let people in, had their pictures made uh, with the January 6th people that came. And so the police are a mixed bag in terms of their own uh, behavior. Uh, but we do know that some police were out out to do harm. And it looks as though this black female police woman, if this turns out to be exactly what it looks like it is in the video, was one of them. And so no wonder they won't release those 14 hours. Or 14,000, sorry. 14,000 hours of video. The Capitol Police just will not release the 14,000 hours of video that still remains unseen, even though the defendants in the Capitol, in the D.C. jail, have every right to that. That's exculpatory evidence. And they won't release that so that uh, defense attorneys can review it. Uh, that's what Judicial Watch has been working on for months, trying to get that information, and they're just being stonewalled. So um, that's kind of that's the best I can do to give you coverage of what happened. I want to tell you that Look Ahead America, again, is having more rallies, and I would, cons- I would uh, encourage you to go, and uh, I ne- I'd like to go myself. So I'm just not prepared to give you a specific, but you can look on that and see where there is a rally near you. All right, there's another big story that happened last week or over the weekend. I'm sure that you know that. And um, that is that thousands of illegal immigrants have amassed under the bridge in Texas. And thousands of them are from Haiti, but they're from Cuba, Venezuela. They're from all over the place. And uh, the people in, um, in that area, Del Rio, Texas, are just overwhelmed. The mayor is overwhelmed. He said, we've never seen anything like this. It's thousands and thousands of people. I heard that there was like two toilets available for all those people. And so, of course, the people in that area are um, we're freaking out, as you would too, would you not? If you saw 20,000 people from non-English-speaking people from third-world countries camped out in your backyard uh, with no place to go, no food, where, what are they going to do, do you think? Think about that. How are they going to survive? And so um, Texas law enforcement has taken action over the migrant crisis, and uh, they've sent in their law enforcement to try to send them back now, I did read that the administration <laughs> is beginning to repatriate the Haitians, at least. But who knows? You know, it kind of reminds me of um, what happened in Afghanistan when uh, private citizens went in there to try to rescue Americans and are still doing that, by the way. They're still getting people out, uh, not the government. And then the government rushed in to take credit uh, while they were doing everything they could to stop it. It's just so sick. I just, it's sad we can't trust hardly anything that they're telling us. And that reminds me of something else. I'm all over the map here, but these are important stories. The FDA panel, I told you about that, voted not to recommend that booster shot. And I wanted to make sure you heard the testimony of one of the persons that testified in the eight-hour hearing for the FDA. Steve Kirsch, clip six. Let's listen. Hi, I'm Steve Kirsch. I'm executive director of the COVID-19 Early Treatment Fund. I have no conflicts. Uh, advanced to slide number four with the elephant. I'm going to focus my remarks today on the elephant in the room that nobody likes to talk about, that the vaccines kill more people than they save. Today, we focus almost exclusively on COVID death saves and vaccine efficacy because we were led to believe that the vaccines are perfectly safe. But this is simply not true. For example, there were four times as many heart attacks in the treatment group in the Pfizer six-month trial report. That wasn't bad luck. Theirs shows heart attacks happen 71 times more often following these vaccines compared to any other vaccine. In all, 20 people died who got the drug, 14 died who got the placebo. Few people notice that. If the net all-cause mortality from the vaccines is negative, vaccines, boosters, and mandates are all nonsensical. This is the case today. 
That's right. So, um, uh, let's slide number seven, advance uh, to the number seven in lower part. This shows that the all-cause uh, death light rate in, uh, in three cases. Only the VAERS numbers are statistically significant, but the other numbers are troubling. Even if the vaccines had 100% protection, it still means we kill two people to save one life. Four experts did analyses using completely different non-U.S. data sources, and all of them came up with approximately the same number of excess vaccine-related deaths, about 411 deaths per million doses. That translates into 150,000 people have died. Next slide would be slide number 11, uh, the nursing home. Now, the real numbers confirm that we kill more than we save, and I so he says we, he thinks that we kill. The, the, the evidence shows that we're killing twice as many people as we're saving with the vaccines. And uh, so he's arguing against the booster. And I want to tell you that this panel uh, had some very interesting information. The, the hearing was eight hours. Um, so, for instance, on one of the slides, the FDA slide said that the risk of COVID-19 for a healthy 30-year-old is just 0.0004%. Bolstering arguments against boosters being recommended for the recommended for the general population, and uh, they they did recommend it for older people. I have no time to comment on that, uh, but now we know that these two FDA uh, vaccine reviewers are expected to leave the agency because they are arguing that there's this potential side effects from these extra doses could outweigh the benefits. So much detail and so much for you to assimilate and absorb. I recognize that. I guess listen to this show again by podcast if you uh, that would help and also bring a pencil and paper so that you can catch these things because you know it's hard to get this information in many places these days and we're doing our best to give you as much as we possibly can in the time that we have thank you so much for listening god bless each and every one of you sandy rios in the morning on afr talk The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.